0: Welcome to a new episode of How I Became, the podcast where I talk with individuals to reveal the valuable lessons they have learned while navigating their way through life.
1: You may have all the most incredible skills and education in the world, but that doesn't mean that you were taught how to deal with people. And if you've got a team, you need to know how to deal with people in order to, to get the best out of them And have that healthy team dynamic. And again, so it's looking at things like that, that your communication style. Can you build rapport with people?
0: Okay, so welcome to another episode of How I Became. Today I am talking with Kylie Hurl. And I did practice that uh, pronunciation (laughs) before we started. Kylie, give me the... 30 second synopsis of who you are
1: Who I am, wow Um, Today I am someone that knows what their purpose is and has a sense of direction but it's taken a really long time to get here and I've definitely been a lost soul previously but having found coaching and having the ability to create a business where I get to impact other people's lives and see them flourish is, is now that incredible sense of purpose that I have today and that sense of, I guess, that sense of identity and, and what I'm doing here.
0: Hmm. L- let me let me start with this then. Uh, let's go back before this moment and and I'll ask this: Eighteen-year-old Kylie, who does she want to become?
1: Oh, she very much wanted to be a lawyer. Law was my whole world, and I thought I probably watched one too many Annie but bills and had these very tinted glasses about law, and um, I thought law was my path to to make my to make my mark on the world. Um, She was ambitious and she wanted to work hard but i'd say probably a little naive to the way the world really
0: worked what what was the awakening moment that says hey i thought the world was like this but it's not what was some of the things that happened that kind of opened you up to what the real world is
1: if I'm completely honest, it probably wasn't until I got into the working environment until I turned 21, 22 and properly started to go out to work and realized that the little bubble that I'd lived in and my rose tinted glasses about the world and how people are and how people treat each other actually University was probably started to open my eyes to things because I met people from all different backgrounds and walks of life that I normally wouldn't. So you hear their trials and tribulations and start to realise, oh, huh, people don't all quite see the world as I do and it's not quite as necessarily as rosy as I think it is. And then getting into the workplace was a whole other, I guess, eye-opening experience to that, seeing how people treated each other, seeing how people interacted um, and realising what I then, I guess, did and didn't want out of my working life, you know, my personal life and just the direction that I wanted to go in. So working that those first few years in the working environment were a, a game changer in terms of my personal development.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, I know I know guys who are lawyers and I know a couple of girls who are lawyers and they tend to when you think of the lawyer type and and they have these couple of people I know live up to this reputation of kind of go getters. So their interactions with people tend to be very. What's the word? Tort? Is that a word? Um, But. They're, they're, they're stringent people because they the law, right? And it, everything is direct and it's black and white. It is or it isn't. And and so it's kind of like how doctors, their bedside manners aren't the best sometimes, although they're very smart. Um, lawyers tend to have that same way. So when you say you were ambitious, how did that come out in how you treated other people?
1: one of the reasons why i left law quite quickly because i was ambitious but i learned very quickly and saw very quickly that one of the things and i'm not saying it's all law firms but the law firms that i worked in and that you know my friends are in and colleagues very much encouraged competition but unhealthy competition like stepping over each other and, you know, just being if you needed to be an absolute shark to get there and full steam ahead, no matter what the consequences or the casualties. And I, I never wanted to work like that. I never wanted to be that. And I was always in trouble one way or another. I was always being called into the office and being told if I was just a little bit more robust or I was a little bit more this or I was a little bit more that. And it, it became very evident to me that I, at the time, I saw it that I potentially maybe lacked some ruthlessness or something that I needed, or that I wasn't strong enough. Now, years years later on, you know, I'm um, approaching forty, so obviously many years on, like I can say that I'm very grateful that actually, even at a relatively young age, I didn't let anyone bully me into being something that I didn't want to be. And I realized that this wasn't an environment that I wasn't happy in. And that actually I'm quite glad I didn't have the attributes to necessarily flourish and succeed in that world. And I made the smart decision for me to, to leave. Hmm.
0: Did you go to law school or you just, you went to law school, start practicing law and then just left. Where did you go to when you left law?
1: Um I sidestepped and went to like financial institutions, so worked for like hedge funds predominantly. Um,
0: feels like the same type of Wolf Wolf. wolf. I I started thinking the Wolf of of Wall Street type of guys. Um
1: Yes and no. Like the, the hedge fund worlds and I also worked for like local pension um company too okay. for a while. They they were different. They were definitely different. Some of the personality types that were born. I'm not going to say completely different. That would be a lie. But it wasn't. And maybe, and maybe, in complete honesty, it was there, but it wasn't so evident. So it wasn't so heavy. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: But it it all led to a road of where I was like I even in those environments I knew that it wasn't the right environment for me and if anything I they probably thought that I was quite woo woo uh definitely been described like that from previous workplaces um back when I was in the corporate world and a bit hippie and like you know spoke about feelings and what people need and didn't quite equate to their world. So I always knew that I wasn't, even in those days, even though working life was better, I wasn't quite in the right place for me.
0: Mm -hmm. Is, and now, what drove you, when was the moment you went from corporate to coaching?
1: Um, It was only a couple of years ago, so it's not been long. Um, And it was, just a moment of I, I'd been feeling pretty low and was mentally going through a, a a low spot. And I just, it was my therapist actually that said to me, Kylie, until you work out what your purpose is, I don't think you're going to be happy. And I let that sit with me for a couple of days because to be honest, she said it and I I wasn't sure what to do with it. So I sat with it for a couple of days and then something silly I just thought I thought right what can I do tonight to be proactive about about that so I just put pen to paper and just did a bit of an assessment of myself like my strengths my weaknesses what I didn't didn't like what I thought drove me what I thought would put a smile on my face you know in terms of a of a good day just just silly things like that and by the end of that exercise, and all I had for a few weeks were two things that kept coming back to me that I knew communication, having that connection and that communication with people throughout the day was something that I needed, something that I wanted, something that I thrived on. And I knew that I wanted to do some good in other people's lives. I didn't it had to be bigger than me. Like I had to be here doing something that was going to make an impact on other people. And that's how I originally got into law, but obviously it didn't quite work out.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then from those two things, I, I sat on that for a while doing research and silly Google searches and talking to career advisors, um, pretty much for people that were having like a, a midlife crisis and um, I wanted to start again sort of career advisors. Um, and then eventually I, I came across coaching and there was, I, as cheesy as it sounds, there was a bit of an ah-ha-ha moment. I was like, ha I think, I think this is where I get to combine those things. I think this is something that I'm going to really enjoy and that I can really run with. And, and it just came from there.
0: How does, how does that, um, and this is, I think I'm going to go off the side rails here for a second here. Um, because how does one become a coach? And I guess I, I, I see like a lot of um, keynote speakers. It's like, how do you become a keynote speaker? I I guess you got to have some good stories and some good um, lessons. And you have a, you have to show that you can change something in someone. Um, But how, how do you, how does one go about becoming a coach? Especially for other leaders. I mean, Uh, in developing leadership and things how does how does that happen how do you how do you do that
1: well I mean I took the route of going down a course and getting accreditation and learning skills but so I I I took a coaching accreditation course in complete and honesty utter honesty with you and then from that knew that I had the foundations to sort of go into the coaching world but I wasn't I, I didn't feel like at that point that if I had clients that I would be doing my best by them so went on to find other therapies and other realms of coaching that i thought would enhance those foundational skills mm-hmm. that i had so looked at things like nlp and I'm now an nlp um, master looked at things like emotional intelligence um like some other like business courses i knew that like i had had this corporate background and that i could probably intertwine that into my coaching and that, that the skills that i had and the experience that i had already like acquired like i could use that within my coaching so I went on to do like um just something silly like an online business course just to understand maybe some more of the the needs and the demands of what the online world would have against you know me being based in an office and behind a screen for 14 years like what the difference differences were so I could incorporate that into my coaching so a lot of it did involve complete and utter honesty with you going back and retraining and you know um, practicing and educating myself on those skills but I'm not saying outright anyone can just take up coaching but to be honest with you, I think our experiences are the best foundations that we have for being a coach, being able to have that rapport with someone when you share something or understand like, that experience. You know you, you know, when you say something and someone's like, I hate talking about me because, you, I don't know, say you're talking about mm-hmm. something painful that happened for you or a moment that happened for you, and you can connect on that and and then you can start to some simple questions but then allow someone the space to be able to think about what they want to say and what they need so I think our experiences are the best foundation anyone can be a coach you can go to a coaching accreditation and learn some of the basic structures and and formats to be able to have a a coaching experience sorry a coaching session um, and be able to do that successfully but i think it's your experiences that make you that connection that you've got with your clients i think that's what makes anyone be able to coach
0: what would you say was what's one thing you learned about yourself going through that experience and becoming a coach
1: oh wow there were like a hundred of them um I think the biggest thing for me was clarity. And I know this probably sounds a little bit morbid, but I don't I but the going through the coaching courses, it was one of the first times I was asked on quite a regular basis, what do you want this all to be about? What do you want your legacy to be? What are you what are you trying to create? Like, what do you want to leave at the end of the day? Like, what this, what? And they, they were the first time in complete, being completely honest, I probably really sat down and gave those type of questions some real thought and the thought that they probably deserved. And with that came a sense of clarity of, okay, well, I, I can't plan out the next 30 years. That That's crazy. But I can have a good sense of, what I do want this to be about and the type of person that I do want to be. And I can build on that and keep building on that each each and every day. And I don't think I'd ever really had that crystal clear clarity before.
0: Mm-hmm. That's, you know, having talked to so many people, the one thing that there's this thread that goes through that, who we start off thinking we are and where we're where we're going, it never it never ends that way. And and I, I always think because I'm think I'm talking to young people and I'm looking at them 18, 19 years old, and I'm telling them, You're just at the starting point. It's like you're making these decisions and finding these things, but let's talk in fifteen years you're in for a journey because this is not who you are. And sometimes I feel bad for them because we're asking them to pick something that you want to do for the rest of your life and make all these decisions that will carry on for the next 70 years. And it's like, it won't even last five guys. It, this won't even last five years. <laughs> you're making decisions for the next 20, but I tell you, it won't last five. Um, but that is an, an aside. So you're, your coaching, you move into coaching for you. What has it done for, for your life in particular? I mean, as far as how you feel about yourself, how you get through the day, um, you know, your own mental stability to having gotten to a place where you are really feeling like you're walking in your purpose
1: it's given me a sense of meaning that i was definitely looking for for a really long time like i can go to bed and think that's been a really good day like i've i've been able to add some value to someone's day and even if it's just that i've asked a question and it's got them to think about something that's going on for them or something that they sort of brush under the carpet or something actually they're not even aware of. Like they they don't even allow themselves that space to go there. And they come back to you like in a couple of days' time and they say something like, I've been thinking about X and actually I I, I realise that I've been depriving myself of or what I really need is. So even even that, but just having those meaningful conversations having that connection with people and seeing how you just showing up for someone giving someone support giving them maybe some accountability giving them the space to think it's crazy what simple things can do like how much that can mean to someone and make a difference in their day or their journey or their decisions um And that's a really great spot to be in.
0: Uh, What do you find is the motivating factor for someone who says, I'm going to go get a coach? And how do you make that determination of what makes actually a good client that you can actually serve? Sure.
1: I mean, I think one of the biggest things there is change, the want to make a change. Um, You can soon get a feel for a conversation whether someone's, Really got resistance, and one of the first things that I'd say to someone before I'd even start working with them, like when we're just having an initial call, is, you know, "Are you ready to to make some changes? Are you ready to change pay, behaviors and patterns? Because that's not easy. Like even bad behaviors, we struggle to change, even if it's mm-hmm. for a good, because we're in this this comfort. And so, if you're changing things and you don't you're not really in it and I'm not and you it's going to be that you're going to have to apply yourself and doing things that you then don't really want to do and the motivation and isn't there then it, it, it's it's not going to work it's going to be a waste of your time so really being ready to implement whatever changes you are I mean because the the best clients in terms of success are the clients that are like Kylie I'm at A but I really want to be at B and I'm ready to do whatever it takes to be a B. And then we go create that roadmap and we work on it week on week on week, bit by bit, and build that roadmap. But when there's still that resistance there, I'm not gonna push someone to mm-hmm. to do something they don't want to do. Like it's gotta come from them. And and then and then you've also very much got the ethical side of that question because especially if you're talking to someone and I, I've i got NLP um, qualifications, but I'm not a therapist. And mm-hmm. if I really can see that there's some mental health issues there that need to be addressed in a different way, that's for me ethically to say, I think you need something different. Like coaching isn't the right path for you. Like, and there could be an opportunity that maybe somewhere along the line somewhere down the line that you've worked on a and therefore maybe it's the right time to come back and see me but you've you've got to ethically be able to say this isn't and then on the other and then on the other the, the last one i think it's about that rapport like we get in i always do an hour to two hour strategy call with someone before we start working with them to have a really good chat, to really sort of meet each other and to be able to build some sort of connection. And it's completely fair enough. There's going to be people that don't gel with me. And for one reason or another, maybe I don't quite gel with. And I, and I think coaching, you're going to such new levels and such deeper levels and something potentially very personal that you've got to have that connection because otherwise you're not going to trust me you're not going to want to open up you're not going to want to explore those things that are bothering you whether they're pains or traumas whatever and and if that's the case then you're not going to get the benefit out of coaching and that's going to be potentially money that you shouldn't have spent in my direction so I think Mm. you also have to yeah, you know, and I, I've done it sometimes, be honest at the end of the call. Like, how how did you feel about this? Did you feel like cause I'm not quite sure? And have that honest and open conversation.
0: Hmm. Okay, that's good. You know, I always tell people, um, as an instructor, I, I a friend of mine, we had this conversation, he says, Well, when you know better, you do better. And I told him it's like, that's not true. It's like we know a lot of things that we should do. We, we don't. It's it's like, you know, smoking. Um, there are a lot of habits that we have that we know this is not good for us. Um, me spending a whole Sunday from 8am to nine, 11, 10, 11 o'clock at night, watching football. It's not a productive day. I should be doing something with the wife or something, but I don't. And I, it is what it is. And I know I should do better. And in fact, she's going to tell me that I need to do better. And I still don't, <laughs> so it doesn't make a difference. So at the beginning of this conversation, we, um, there are a lot of aspects to, to, to coaching um, to, and to building leaders. And this is where I want to kind of go with this and building leadership, some of the components that you try to implement, and I know you mentioned that um, emotional intelligence was one of those things. But let's kind of uh, do a quick rundown of some of the components um, besides emotion, emotional intelligence that you try to build up in people. Uh, and I guess that's probably per person based on a per person basis. But um, but what are some of the things that you kind of pull off the shelf and say we're going to try to we're going to try to build these things up in you
1: I think the one that we all can share no matter where we are in life no matter who we are what we're doing is our language and when I say that what I mean is the way we talk about ourselves like and the way we talk about something that's coming up or the way we talk about a challenge or an obstacle or way, or even the, like what so it's really interesting when you first meet someone, what is their language and what are the words that they're using towards themselves or you know, challenging situations? Um, and I think even the best of us who, you know, best of people that have got an incredibly positive attitude, there's still going to be moments that you beat up on yourself, like you wouldn't beat up on someone else. You know, if someone else had made that mistake or someone else had done that, you wouldn't talk to them in the same way as you talk to yourself. So, um, there's there's always room to be much kinder to ourselves, no matter who you are.
0: How do you learn to? How do you learn to catch yourself? Because I can imagine that habit kicks in and you it may not even you may not even realize what you're doing it's just something that you do how do you learn to catch yourself in those moments when you're talking negative about yourself
1: i think a it's awareness because until you're aware of how do i talk to myself like what's my inner dialogue like with myself and then obviously when as a coach you start to get into conversations and you you know you would ask people you know, how do you feel about this or what's the thing that you say to yourself about x or what do you normally and you know those those I am statements that come out that are pretty painful, you know, and we beat up on each other, beat up on ourselves. Sorry, you know, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not this, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not intelligent enough, I'm not and once you start to explore those and you you you've had a conversation about that and then you've obviously then bring it to someone's attention, like you realise you just said you're not you're not good enough. You realise you said that that's not gonna happen. You realise you keep saying I try, or I will try. I'm gonna try. What does the word try imply to you? Like there's a potential for it not to happen. So what does that mean? Are you really believing in this situation? So I think I think it's that awareness because if you're not aware of it, how are you how are you meant to to catch yourself? How are you meant to know that? So it's that I think it's that syndrome of if you said to someone, "Have you seen a a red Audi recently?" They'll be like, "No," but now that you've said it, the next like the next day, all mm-hmm. they're going to see is a red Audi like driving down the motorway. Mm-hmm. So I think the first thing is that awareness. How do you actually do you even give yourself five minutes to ever think what have I actually said to myself today? That that thing happened where I sent that email to the wrong person. What was I saying to myself? As I was, was I saying that I was an idiot? Was I calling myself stupid? So, I think it's allowing yourself that space and just even just just that awareness of giving yourself that space of five minutes of what have I said to myself today.
0: Talk to me about emo- emotional intelligence, the importance of it. And where you see the where where you've seen the gap, where you've seen the gap and people who lack it.
1: I mean, I'm going to go straight to the top. So I don't want people to feel like I'm beating on them. But for us in the coaching world and, you know, I'm sure most people would probably have a workplace story like this. There is a big. Correlation between mental health in the workplace and your leaders, your senior management, um, that that board. Um, there's a big relation between you know things like staff turnover, absenteeism, because of toxic working relationships, and potentially, especially seniors and leaders that don't have good management skills. And it kind of picks up on exactly what you were just saying to me. You may have all the most incredible skills and education in the world, but that doesn't mean that you were taught how to deal with people. And if you've got a team, you need to know how to deal with people in order to, to get the best out of them and have that healthy team dynamic. And again, it's so it's looking at things like that at your communication style can you build rapport with people but when we look at those emotional intelligences people hear emotional intelligence and think one or two things they think i'm either just talking about empathy and they think no that's got no place in the workplace or they think that i'm going to go ask them to hug a tree and that's it and this look of horror just like crosses their face And empathy is one of our emotional intelligences. We have 15, they're broken up into like five areas. And they're really important for a workplace. So for example, one of our emotional intelligences is stress management. And then stress management is broken down into flexibility. So how flexible are we? Um, It comes into our stress tolerance and then um, optimism. So, you know, that positive attitude, how how do you bring that into the workplace? You've then got um, decision-making, which is another one of our emotional intelligences, which is broken down into problem-solving, impulse control, um, reality testing. So just those two emotional intelligences on their own, like stress management and then that decision-making, that's huge in Mm -hmm. any – Forget leaders or seniors, but anyone's day-to-day activities at work. Like if you're making big decisions and say they're on investments, for example, how are you making those decisions? Are your emotions coming into that? So, for example, say you've driven to work. It was a really hellish drive. Some ass cut you up and you're now in a really bad mood. And you've not been able to process that, and you bring that heavy bad mood into the day with you. How has that then impacted on your decision making? Has that made your optimism go down a level? Has that made um? Has that made the way the you look at flexibility. Are you are you less flexible today? Are you, so you're not able to see maybe some of the benefits of negotiating and, and talking and mooting out some problems. Um, and how has that, for example, affected your problem solving? How, are you now so so in a different state? Another emotion's completely overtaken that maybe your impulse control has gone up. So maybe you've come in and you're more angry. Or you, So our emotional intelligences can easily affect our working life and, and all the things that we're doing on a daily basis within our working life. And um, that's where I think the there's a barrier between the word emotional intelligence. And I know it's quite trendy and it's being bandied about yet, yeah, but that understanding that actually there's... how. Um, many components to our emotional intelligence and that word that term very much has a place in the Mm workplace workplace
0: yeah what do you do when someone they start unpacking their assumptions their beliefs and they realize they don't like what's there and or you see something that says this part of you needs addressing before we go on because your assessment and your biases and your belief systems are going to hinder you from interacting. And I'm, I'm thinking more along the lines of when we talk about, let's make it easy, sexism, racism, um, all of those things that you may say as a leader that, that's not, you're not impacted by that. But then you start really, someone challenges you to look at yourself and you realize you kind of are making decisions based on these biases and assumptions. What's the challenge there of of actually getting someone out of their biases through emotional intelligence? Because I assume a person who's highly, who's emotionally intelligent. I don't know how you phrase it in the saying that you're operating on a high plane of emotional, emotional intelligence, I guess that way you wouldn't see they'd at least acknowledge their biases. Sure.
1: I mean, the the first thing there is that to make sure that that person feels like they're in a safe space. I'm not there to judge um, I am there to shine a light on potentially some matters that you're hiding away from and that you need to address. And that that's the purpose of me being there. And if something like that's creeping into your leadership style, especially, then you're going to be getting results that aren't where you want to be. So first of all, it's, I guess, getting to the the root or the belief, how that came about, getting to that memory, breaking that memory down, replacing it with something that is more useful. But it's then getting into that zone of, well, the results you're getting, what are they? And I can't imagine a situation where the results would be productive if those sort of biases were creeping in to the workplace or, or any part of life but if those if that was creeping in so what results do you want so what would be more resourceful what would be more helpful What would be more beneficial to to see that impact and it's that also it's that awareness so emotionally what we term as people that are emotionally highly intelligent it's not just about their awareness of themselves but it's the awareness of others so how their action behaviors words are impacting on others but also how people around them are can you pick up on when someone isn't quite themselves they're feeling low they're a little bit off do you pick up on whether something has not landed right? You know, it's called maybe it's caused anger or frustration or irritation. Do you pick up? Are you aware of the impact of what's going on? So it was bringing that awareness as well, not to yourself, but to the others. And again, then being able to see that from a different perspective. Like if you're doing X and X. How do you think the person on the end of X and X is going to react? How do you think that's going to impact them? Do you think they're going to feel about this? Is that the result that you want?
0: Have you, have you gotten a chance to uh, look at the bottom line of like coaching? It was when they walked through their door, they were, here at the end of it and maybe two years on, we could see that their company has saw this X amount of growth or that level of turnover has turned over or the environment overall. How do you measure the success of the coaching long term um, beyond, you know, just the, uh, I walk out the door, I think this worked, but two years down the road, uh, how, do you get to us? Do you get to assess that? How do you How do you know when you've done a good job?
1: Yeah, but at times, I mean, I guess it's having that that yardstick to make something measurable. But that's one of the reasons why we, at the beginning of any client um, contract or any client engagement. It's about what do you want to achieve? So say we're working together for 12 weeks or whether it's 12 months, what do you want to see at the end of this 12-week program, at the end of this year program? What's the ultimate aim? And then we work backwards. Then week on week, we're building towards that. We then chunk it down into tiny little bite-sized steps each week to make it attainable and explore whatever's coming up that week that's relevant and sometimes we have to go around the houses because there might be something that comes up that was not part of the conversation but you know we all have our personal lives we all have we're all living life and weird and wonderful things come up and it might be that something's come up three weeks or three months since the program that wasn't you know even in your mind's eye at the beginning and so this needs to be addressed and this needs to be explored and looked at but we we and it might be that that ultimate aim does change along the way but we try to have the vision the big vision for the end and then we forget about it so that we take the overwhelm out we take the anxiety out we take the pressure out and we chunk it down into teeny tiny bite side steps and we're working towards it and we're building on it but being able to say to someone you came to us and what you wanted was to set up your own business and we're now 12 weeks in or we're 14 weeks in whatever and that's the position you're in and you've overcome all these hurdles and you've overcome x y and z it might be that someone comes to us and they're like there's no communication amongst myself and my team or, you know, this team. There's just a complete and utter breakdown. No one's no one's talking, no one's on the same page. And it's like, okay, so what's what do you want to achieve by the end of this coaching programme? Like what's the ultimate aim? Is it that you you want them going out on a Friday night together and they're all like BFF or is it just that you want a, a, a working environment where people can talk openly and they're not afraid? and and then we we break it down and i'm not gonna lie there's times when it takes longer than necessarily anticipated especially because if you think about it we're talking about potentially breaking well we're talking about predominantly breaking people's behaviors and Mm -hmm. that's not easy like we like we get comfortable and especially if we're even if we're trying to look at building a new behavior to replace a bad behavior that's doing something that we don't particularly like, we're so comfortable with that bad behavior that we keep doing it. Mm. So when we're talking about changing behaviors, usually for us, we, we see that it really takes at least 12 weeks to get someone to take on a new pattern and really start to get into it. But in complete honesty, it probably takes six months for someone to keep that pattern up, keep that new behavior up and really adopt it. So, because there's a whole history of to go with that, to break down and replace and start building new beliefs, new opinions and new patterns and new behaviors to see different results. And we... We often see people flip flop and take their time to get mm. to to where they want to be, but if you keep with it, and I think I think the biggest thing is having that support and that accountability. Because when people have to show up for someone else, even if it's me, even if they have to show up for myself, Dean or Jamie, it's different having to show up mm. for someone else than just yourself.
0: Uh. Uh, Absolutely. Now, I don't know if this is happening in the UK, but in the US, there was this thing of the great resignation um, and people leaving their jobs. And there's this little meme thing going around that I don't believe it's true that, um, you know, labor shortage, uh, people quitting their jobs. But on the other side of that, I've seen a lot of people who have they've been home. They've been with their families and they realize, you know, these three hours of commuting that I've been doing every day, um, all of this, let me go start my own thing because I can sit here and do this at home and I could, I could do this. And so how has that impact uh, the coaching business? Because there are a lot of people who say, I can go start a business. And then the second you go to start a business, you realize I have no idea how to start a business. Um, <laughs> I know what I know what I I know what I I know I can do X, Y and Z. I'm an expert at that. The business side of it, the marketing, um, building this thing up, um, building even my own confidence to say I'm going to quit my job. Um, how has have you seen an impact um, on your coaching from that aspect of society, of that change of people thinking like, well, let me call someone, even if it is for just six weeks to just like, hey, this is my idea. This is what I want to build. And then have someone say, yes, I think you're good. No, go back to work. You're not ready. How how do you how have how has that impacted the coaching business?
1: Well, it's impacted. It's hugely. It's definitely impacted our business because that is one side of our business is setting people up um, in with their own company that have always had an idea but have never got round to it. Whether that's fear of failure or you know fear of obviously the, the money side of it. So we've seen a definite interest in people wanting to to work for themselves, wanting to, you know, do things on their terms, um, having, taking those steps into creating their own own business. Um, And I think possibly a big part of that is the time that, COVID has given people, and I know that probably sounds very odd thing to say, but it was one of the first times where a lot of people, especially people that have been working a couple of decades, had probably ever stopped just for a second and had some space to think and to think about where they are and what they wanted and seeing their lifestyles change a lot of people I know struggle being at home because of the isolation and the loneliness and then obviously the mental impacts there but then a lot of people also found that for the first time in their lives they had some quality time with their family especially if they've got children that they have hadn't had and especially for gentlemen where predominantly have to do later nights at work I know that you know, the female workforce are very much catching up on that. And most, a lot of industries, it's very much expected. But for mums and dads that are coming in and they've missed bedtime and they've missed bath time or, you know, grand people that are now grandparents, but work still requires them to be there of the weekend. This was potentially the first time for so many hundreds of thousands of people where they actually got, a taste of something else and thought why why don't i have this normally or why don't i try mm. to make just even a percentage of this like my 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 lifestyle going forward
0: Yes. Yeah. one is there a question that i didn't ask that you would have liked me to ask
1: oh um. No, not in this conversation, because the beauty of this conversation was that it wasn't planned, that it was just, let's see where the conversation goes, let it flow, and that's exactly what we did. So absolutely no, because I didn't have any expectations going in. I was just happy to see where the conversation went and see what came out of it. So that was exciting just by itself.
0: Mm. Yeah, some people are unnerved by that, by the fact that I give you, I'm gonna ask you this one question, hey, what what did you wanna become when you were 16? That's one question. Or eighteen, or however it is, and then I don't know. I just go. <laughs> I, I just, I just go. Um, okay. So the second question is: If people want to contact you, um, how can they do that?
1: Um, so they my the name of my coaching company is called Freedom Coaches, and that's spelled with a th. So that's thr e-e-d-o-m coaches and uh it's just a silly play on words because there's three of us and when we got together the idea was to give people all different types of freedoms whether it was mental freedom geographical freedom financial freedom but to be able to empower them to, to go off and find that um but our website is com, and again that's with a th which really put, really gets people at times like what but yeah that's
0: th okay all right and i appreciate it kylie thank you for your time i appreciate it it's been a great conversation and um You have a great day in London. What's the weather like there?
1: Oh, it is chilly here now. Um, I know there's other parts of the world that are probably a lot colder than us, but it is pretty chilly here now. Winter has definitely set in.
0: Okay. All right. All right. Well, I'm in Chicago, so we don't (laughs) know. Thanks for listening to the show. Please leave a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. That helps get rankings and make it easier for people to find the show. Check out the links in the notes. Also, leave a comment. Let us know what part of the show you enjoyed and what was most impactful. Share this episode with your network and help us spread the word about the podcast. As always, you can contact me at thequickstartcreative at gmail.com. Thanks for your time